It's so easy for us to judge others, to put them down, to somehow elevate ourselves, and we do it in all kinds of ways. But what does God say? Here's Pastor David to teach us the truth. As the famous and thoughtful philosopher Peggy Hill from the show King of the Hill once said, I am not a professional psychologist, but I am an amateur psychologist. Many of us are amateur psychologists. We think we have this ability to know the intentions of the hearts of other people. Uh, Someone steps on our foot, let's say, and we assume that they did that on purpose to hurt us because they're big jerks. Or you send someone a text message and you didn't immediately get a text back or five minutes later get a text back and you're like, oh, this person's the worst. They should be sitting there waiting to answer my text messages, right? They're probably just a big jerk. We assume these things about them. I I actually advise people when they send text messages or when they send emails that they need to be very, very careful what they put in that email or the words that they use because it will often be read in the worst possible way that it could be read, right? If there's any possible way to take it negatively, people tend to take it negatively, you know, texting, hey, buddy, you want to meet up for some Mexican food? Salsa dancing girl, sombrero emoji, yummy emoji, whatever people send, I don't know, all this stuff, but, and the person's like, I can't believe he sent me that text. I'm like, why? Like five years ago, one time, I sort of maybe mentioned a little bit that I didn't like Mexican food. So he's just trolling me, and he hates me, and that's why he's saying, let's go to Mexican food. I know that sounds crazy, but there was one, not exactly this one, but there was another one. I've changed it to protect the innocent. That was exactly like this. If somebody was saying this to me, I'm like, I think the guy just wants to go to Mexican food with you. I think he's actually being nice. But we have this tendency to assume negative things about people. When we feel ignored or rejected, when we feel disrespected, we tend to assume that people intended to hurt us, intended to disrespect us, intended to reject us. And when we hear negative things about other people, we tend to believe the worst about them. You hear something in the news about somebody or somebody tells you about something that's going on with some friend of yours or whatever, we tend to assume the worst possible thing. They intended to do whatever this was because they're big jerks and they're whatever. And that's just the nature of the way that we, that we deal with that kind of thing. The fact is we judge the hearts of other people. Many of us do it all the time. But this is what the Bible says about judging the heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things. And desperately wicked, who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. So who can know it? One person. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. God is very clear about something. We do not know what is in the hearts of other people. We do not know what is in the minds of other people. God does know. God knows every heart and every mind. But we do not. So why are we so busy so often judging the hearts of other people? I think it's probably because it makes us feel better about ourselves. 
I think that's why we do it. The world tends to play what's called a zero-sum game. Some of you know what a zero-sum game is. It's pretty simple. Like, let's take football, for example. There's two teams playing. One of them's going to win, and the other's going to lose, right? If this one wins, then this one lost. If this one wins, then this one lost. It's a zero-sum. They can't both win, no matter how much parents of millennials want all the teams to win. Does not work like that. That is not the fault of the millennials, by the way. That's on us for making things that way. It's a zero-sum. People play a zero-sum game. So people in the world treat each other like that about their value, right? I'm not handsome enough unless I'm more handsome than that guy. I'm not successful enough unless I'm more successful than that woman, right? It's a, it's a game. We stack up. How do we stack up? We use that kind of word, right? Which suggests that there's a hierarchy of values somehow. We're on some kind of a ladder, and it's a zero-sum ladder. If I'm on this rung, you can't be on this rung. You have to be on that rung. And so we tend to play this game. Go to any high school or junior high, and you'll see it probably at its very worst. But I'll tell you what, you can see it pretty bad in just about every office place, You can see it pretty bad in any worldly collection of people where there's this game. There's backbiting, right? There's talking about people, putting each other down like, oh, did you hear about Johnson? He did such and such. Like, oh, he's a blah, 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 blah. That's just the way that people are. And we do it because if Johnson is here, then we see ourselves as here. And so we got to push Johnson here so we can be here. Just the nature of how we do business sometimes. People judge others. They judge the hearts of other people. They think the worst of others. This is the way of the world. This is the world and its culture, and it's upside down. It's upside down. Judgment of the hearts of others is God's business. It's not your business. It's God's business. You don't judge hearts. God judges hearts. When we do judge hearts, we are acting like we think we can take God's place. We are acting like we can be in charge of things that we are not in charge of. And until some of you can start making trees grow or creating universes, you probably shouldn't start trying to take God's place in other places because you wouldn't be a very good God. I know I wouldn't. But we want to take his place. We want to judge the hearts of other people. And when we do that, we destroy people. We destroy people that are made in the image and likeness of God. When we try to be God and judge the hearts and minds of other people. Now, occasionally we meet somebody who's not like this, who doesn't play the world's game on this. I have a, one of my grandmas, my, both of my grandmas are wonderful. One of my grandmas is, is got a really right side up view on this. My, my grandma, my mom's mom. And she just wants to believe the best about everybody. So she'll hear, you know, we'll hear news that some person did some horrible thing. And my grandma's reaction will be something like, oh, that's too bad. He probably didn't mean to do it, right? You know, he's had a really difficult life. We should really be praying for him and his family. And I'm just like, What? Everybody else is thinking, this jerk, I can't believe he did this thing. And grandma's like, no, I'm going to believe the best about this person. I'm not going to judge his intentions and his hearts. But that's not the normal reaction that most people have when they get that kind of news. Because most people, not the least me, myself, 
have been very influenced by the upside-down culture of the world on this issue. Now, we have been in a series called Right Side Up. Right Side Up. We've been studying Jesus Christ's Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching us the ways of the kingdom of God, the kingdom life. And he is showing us that the world is upside down and the truth of God is right side up. So let's get into our study today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. Right at the beginning, we finished Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 6. We're into Matthew chapter 7, so we've got one chapter left in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm guessing four or five years. We should be should get through it. So let's, let's go ahead and read it real quick. It says this, judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. All right. Those are our five verses for today, and they're pretty power-packed. Last week, if you were here, and I hope you were, we went through the importance of context in understanding what Jesus is teaching in the Bible in general, and frankly, anything. Whether it's a movie you're watching, a book you're reading, a conversation you're having, you always have to have context at play to to possibly understand what's intended to be said. And so we need to understand our Lord's teaching by understanding it in the larger context of this whole section of teaching, of the whole book of Matthew, of the Gospels, and of the Scripture, and everything that God has revealed to us in Scripture and nature. We ought to have all that to understand what's being said. And last week we studied... How Jesus uses the word therefore. That he uses the word therefore to show a conclusion to an argument that he's been making. He's been trying to tell us something true. And so making that argument, at the end of that argument, it says therefore, and then he gives us the conclusion, the truth. So we talked about how that's happening in these teachings of Christ. That's the way that he's teaching us. And so we have to know why the word therefore, what it's there for, right? All that kind of stuff. And in this section of chapter 7, we cannot understand what's being said without understanding where the argument is going. Where is he going with this? Which means that we need to find the next therefore in the passage. Because if we can find the next therefore, then we can see what the conclusion is, and we can see how what we're reading right now fits in with that conclusion. Now, last October... We were in chapter 5 of Matthew. So I actually am moving through it relatively quickly. But we were in chapter 5, and we went through a a section. We started the section in chapter 5, and and at the time, we learned that that section started right here and actually didn't end until about the middle of chapter 7, which is where we are right now. We're actually actually honing in on getting to the end of this section that started all the way back in chapter 5. And in chapter 5, Jesus says something about him being the one to fulfill the law and the prophets. It's right here. Chapter 5, verse 17. It'll be on the screen here. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And then at the end of that section that starts there is a few verses after what we read today. It's in in Matthew 7, 12, and it says this. Therefore, 
Whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And so everything in that section is two things. Jesus saying, I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And then he's telling us how to fulfill the law and the prophets because we are his body. So we are to continue to do the work of Jesus Christ in fulfilling the law and the prophets. And he tells us in this this 12th verse, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So that whole section is all in that vein, okay, In in that realm of thought. And what we're reading today, these five verses, are actually the beginning of that last argument that ends with this therefore. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, okay? So this, we've had a bunch of arguments within arguments within arguments. This last one goes to the last part that connects all the way back to this first part. See, God is really intelligent, really intelligent. Nobody that I know of weaves together teaching and arguments like Scripture. I don't know of any place, anywhere, and I've done a lot of reading, okay? I I went to college and everything. (laughs) A lot of reading, and I can tell you nobody weaves an argument like Jesus Christ or even the Apostle Paul or Peter or any of them. I mean, the way, the way that these guys do it is incredible. But what we started today ends with that therefore. So the conclusion to the argument that Jesus is starting today is therefore whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them for this is the law and the prophets. Now that you know that, that that's the conclusion, let's read the passage again and see if we can see it in light of the conclusion that he's running towards. Okay? This is what it says. Judge not that you be not judged. Right there. You see it? You don't do something unless you want it to happen to you. Okay? For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, others, but not to consider the plank in your own eye, you? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It's all... These are all premises into the conclusion of what people call the golden rule, right? The therefore that's going to hit us right here. Whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. You want to judge, you're going to be judged. You want to use judgment against somebody else, it's going to come back to you. Do to others what you would have them do. So, we see that judging others is not just wrong. There's actually a consequence, That when you judge others, it will mean that judgment will come back to you. Do to others what you want them to do to you. Now, the question for us this morning is what does it mean to judge and what does it not mean? What does it mean to judge and what does it not mean? The world has championed this passage. You will hear many, many people say to you, Jesus said, judge not, that you be not judged. Now, if you do what I would do and say to them, oh, you like the sayings of Jesus? Let's see if you want to do all of them, right? You're rarely going to get back from them anything other than just another judge not, right? It's kind of a trump card. It's something that people use to try to tell you that no one is allowed to judge anything about anyone at any time. That's the way that the world uses it. 
which means they want to take it out of context. They want to yank it out of the scripture and use it as a sword against people or a shield for themselves, but not understand what it actually means, what it was intended to mean. Again, context is the key to understanding. Context, context, context. There are a lot of verses in a book as big as the Bible. I don't know if you guys know, but this is a big book. The words aren't that big. There's a lot of them. It's thick. That's why it takes us a year to go through the reading, which I hope you guys are doing. There's a lot of verses. And if you want to take them out of context, you can get a lot of silly stuff. For instance, here's a couple. Job 19:17. My breath is offensive to my wife, and I am repulsive to the children of my own body. This is kind of my personal story. Or this is also a personal story. Proverbs 32. Surely I am more stupid than any man and do not have the understanding of a man. Now, if you take these out of context, they're not exactly the type of thing you'd want to put on a t-shirt or coffee mug, right? (laughs) Although I do think we got an Axe coffee mug coming with these on it. Um, Yeah, I think that's the way to go. Here's the thing. You have to have context. And the word judge has more than one meaning in English and in the language the New Testament was written in, which is Greek. Both in English and Greek, it has more than one meaning, okay? I can talk about a judge in a courtroom, the guy with the black dress, little hammer, that guy, okay? I can talk about using good judgment to pick your next job or to pick a stock or to pick a spouse, right? That's using good judgment. Some of you better judgment than others, I'd say. Um, Most of the men in here had really good judgment. The women with their spouses, not as good a judgment from what I can tell, but... Or you can judge whether, an, uh, whether something's actually evil or good, right? You can make a judgment about something being evil or good. Or you can judge guilt or innocence, like a jury might do. Or you can judge to condemn. Judgment is, can be used as condemnation. All of these are possibilities. All of them are possibilities because the word has those meanings. So what about when someone uses judge not to mean that we shouldn't judge anyone about anything? Does that work? Join us next time to find out. Until then, let me invite you to come see us at Acts Church this Sunday morning. You'll really enjoy hearing Pastor David in person, and all the info you need is just a click away at actschurchnw.org. Hope to meet you this Sunday. And I hope you'll join us next time for part two of Judge Not, here on Contemplate.